Well, hello, Emmanuel Church family. Whether you're here at one of the campuses or online, we are so glad that you've chosen to be here today. I am super excited to be here for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that Pastor Danny is on a study break and he has taken some time to kind of pray and plan and seek God's direction for this church. And so I know when he comes back, it's going to be incredible. You will not want to miss it. But the second reason is, is my wife and I are celebrating a special day. Today is our anniversary. Can you believe that? Yeah. We have been married 29 years, and uh, I always say that uh, I make the two best decisions in my life were Jesus and Jill. I keep it simple. They both start with J. So that's kind of how I roll. So we are so excited to be here. But we are starting a brand new series called God Never Said That. And in life, you'll hear things that people will say that they attribute to God or to the Bible, and they sound really good. Like I can remember when I was a kid, my mom wanted me to take a, a shower or a bath, and she would say something, and she would say, cleanliness is next to godliness, right? And, and she would say that, man, that sounded like something Moses must have said, you know, or, or somebody. And so I, I would get clean, you know, but it's not in the Bible. And people will say things that we think are in the Bible, but they're not. And so for this month, we're going to be studying those things that God never said, and we're going to be taking a look at the things that God actually said. So today, we're going to be starting with our topic called, What I Do in Secret Doesn't Hurt Anyone. What I do in secret doesn't hurt anyone. Now, I have a friend that we'll call Jerry because that's his name, Jerry. And Jerry called me not long ago, and he was frantic on the phone. He says, Michael, I got to meet with you. I got to meet. I said, okay. And so a little bit later, we got together, and, and Jerry came in, and you could just tell he was totally distraught. And we sat down. We made just a couple of moments of small talk. He said, Michael, I got to confess something to you. He goes, for the past year, I've been struggling with an addiction. I said, oh, Jerry, I'm sorry. Tell me about it. He goes, well, he goes, it's, it's hurting me at work. He says, I, I, I'm not doing well at work. He says, I'm, I, I'm missing meetings. I'm missing sales calls. He goes, he goes it's, it's killing me. He goes, and not only that, but it's costing me money. Every single day, I'm spending money on this addiction, and it's starting to cause problems at home. And he goes, and my wife knows something's up. But I, I just, I, I don't have the courage to, to confess to her. So I just keep saying I'm fine, everything's okay. And so it's kind of caused a, a, a big problem in our marriage. He goes, and it's destroying my health. He goes, over the past year, I have gained over 50 pounds. Well, I, I leaned into Jerry and I said, Jerry, I said, what's going on? He said, Michael, I, I know you're going to laugh. He goes, but I am addicted to Krispy Kreme donuts. And, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with Krispy Kreme donuts. They used to have some stores here in the Indianapolis area, but their mission statement is to make the most awesome glazed donut in the world, and they frankly are nailing it, okay? Uh, they come out of the fryer, piping hot, and they come down this conveyor belt where they are poured with this liquid sugar glaze on it, and they put them in boxes, and you literally can buy them within a minute of being made and they're still warm. And so Jerry told me, he said that one day he decided he was going to stop by Krispy Kreme Donuts. And he was going to buy a dozen donuts to take to the office to kind of, you know, just show everybody how much he liked them or whatever that is, you know. And so he went in there and he's staying in line. He realized that was a special day because they were having a two for one sale. So Jerry bought two dozen donuts. Well, he's in his car and he's got them sitting in the seat next to him. And man, those warm donuts just smelled so good. Some of you are with me, right? Like it's starting to happen here. Yeah. I'm, I'm having problems talking a little bit too, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm starting to drool a little bit. And so he opened the top box and he took out a donut and he ate it on his way to work. And when he got to work, he looked down and he realized he had eaten four 
of the donuts. He's like, well, you can't take a half-eaten, uh, you know, a third-eaten dozen of donuts into to the office. So he hid it underneath his car seat, and he took the other dozen in, and, and everybody ate it. Well, all morning, all he could think about was those Krispy Kreme donuts. And so about 10 o'clock, he told his secretary, he said, I forgot my uh, computer in the car. And he went out to the car, and he ate two more donuts. When he was coming back from his lunch appointment, he told me, he was thinking, man, you know what would go good with lunch? Dessert. And so he pulls that box out, and he eats two more donuts. And as he was heading home for that night, he finished off the entire dozen of donuts. Well, he pulls into his garage and he realizes he has eaten an entire dozen of donuts. And so he's embarrassed. So he goes into the trash bin and he buries that Krispy Kreme donut box all the way down in the bottom and closes the lid before he goes into the house. Well, he said all night when he was home with his wife, all he could think about was Krispy Kreme donuts. So the next morning he woke up and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Krispy Kreme, but I'm only going to get two donuts. I'm going to limit myself to two donuts. So he's in there and at the donut shops, whenever they're frying them, they have this thing that says hot donuts. And I mean, it's on, it's on the front sign. And I mean, people are attracted to this place like crazy. So he's standing in line because it's kind of crowded and he starts doing the math. He goes, you know, if I buy a dozen donuts, it's actually cheaper per donut. So like I'm being a good steward of my money. So he bought a donut and that day he did the same thing. He ate a dozen donuts. For the past year, every single day, Jerry had found an excuse to sneak out of the office or sneak out of the house and go buy a dozen donuts and he would eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. In fact, it got so bad near the end that he was gaining weight, had gained over 50 pounds, but he felt like people were going to find out his secret. And so he thought maybe his wife was following him or coworkers. And so what he would do is he would take a different route home from work every night and he would go to an apartment complex where they had a dumpster or a grocery store with a dumpster and he would hide the Krispy Kreme donut box in there because if they kept piling up in his home trash, his wife would find out. And so I said to him, I said, Jerry, I said, I I can't believe this. I said, what brought this on today? He says, well, my wife, when we woke up this morning, she said, that's it. I've had enough. I've made an appointment with the doctor. He goes, my wife thinks I have a tumor or I have cancer or I'm going to die. And I had to come clean and said, I don't have that. I'm just addicted to Krispy Kreme donuts. Now, we laugh about that. Jerry was not laughing. In fact, we helped him get into an eating disorder support group, and he went to Weight Watchers, and uh, he um, actually went to some marriage counseling because of the, what had happened in their marriage. And he's in a really great place now. But it was hard. But here's what I know. As I was telling that story, it's easy to laugh along about a guy that's addicted to glazed donuts. But each one of us in our life, we have things that we do in secret that we think no one will ever find out and that we think won't hurt anyone. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we do these things. First of all, I think it's to cope. You know, we've had a rough day at work or a rough season with our family. And so we come home from work and we just want to cope with it. And so we just want to, and so we'll, we'll take a drink or we'll take some pills. Or we can't sleep at night because of stuff that's going on. And so we take sleeping pills just to make it through the night. 
Or maybe we've been working so hard, we just say, you know what, I just want to check out. I just want to take some time when I can just get away from it all. And so we will uh, binge watch our favorite show. And we never meant to stay up till 4 a.m., but you know, it was just one episode led to another and, and we just did that. Or, or we, will, we, will, uh, we will just do things that we'll, we'll play online games or we'll be on our phones or social media way later in the night than we ever thought. And we, we just kind of do that because we just want to check out. Or maybe we just feel like we deserve some pleasure. You know, we sit there and we look in, in the refrigerator at that pint of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream and we say, it's not going to eat itself. And you know what? I, I, I've worked hard and I've been working out, you know, okay, periodically, annually, and I deserve, I deserve this. And so we'll, we'll just eat the whole thing. Or, or we'll go on our computers or our tablets and we'll look at pornography. Or, or, or we'll, we'll have sex with the person that, that we're dating and not married to just because we feel like it makes me feel good. I, I deserve this. And we have all these things that we do in secret. But here's the problem. Is that when we think I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it sounds so good doesn't it? I mean, I'm smart enough. I'm, I'm disciplined enough. I'm sneaky enough. No one will ever find out, right? So I can do what I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. But let's look at this statement and really take a look at it. The first word I want to look at is the word hurt. Who gets to determine what hurt is? I mean, is it, is it a physical hurt? Is it a relational hurt? I mean, who gets to determine what that is? The next word is anyone. I mean, I mean, whatever I'm doing in the privacy of my own home, it doesn't hurt anyone else. But is it hurting me? Am I secluding myself and living such a small life that it's taking away from my children? I mean, who is anyone? And the next word is actually used twice, and it's the word I. It says, I can do what I want. We place ourselves at the center of our world. And anytime we place ourselves or anything else at the center of our world, the Bible has a name for it, and it's called idolatry. Is that we are saying that we are the most important person at all. Not my wife, not my kids, not my coworkers, not my neighbors. What I choose to do is right. And it sounds so good. I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anyone else. But I believe there are some reasons why this mindset won't work. So let's take a look at three reasons why this mindset won't work. The first reason is this. What's on the inside always comes out. Do you get that? What's on the inside always comes out. 
A few years ago, my wife and I were at a minister's conference with several other couples that were in ministry in Orlando, Florida. And one day they gave us a day off. And so we decided we were going to go over to uh, Disney's Hollywood Studio theme park. Um, We had heard that there was a roller coaster ride type ride there called the Tower of Terror. And we like riding kind of scary rides. And so we thought this would be great. Well, if you've ever been to a Disney park, one of the things that is a constant is that you're going to wait in line for stuff, right? And so there were three other couples in ministry that we had gotten to know and were good friends of ours. And we stood in line for about an hour talking to them. Right in front of us were eight junior high, sixth grade girls. They were 12 years old. They were from a youth group. Their church had a retreat for young ladies and they all were in sixth grade. And part of that retreat was going to a Disney theme park. Like, I don't know what church that is, but that's the one I want to go to, right? So we're staying in line and we're getting to know these girls and we're asking about their life and their school and their families. And they're finding out that we're all in ministry. And we, and we get on this ride in the Tower of Terror. Now, I don't know if you've ever ridden this ride, but it's kind of like a, a, a car like this, but there's two rows. And so the, the eight Eight junior high girls sat right here in the front row and then my wife and I and the three couples sat right behind them and uh, you know as the adults we were kind of like oh I bet this is gonna be scary you know and uh, the ride starts and it kind of goes this way and there's like a hologram ghost and I'm like oh you got me with that one you know and, and it swings around this way and I'm like oh scary you know and, and all of a sudden the ride kind of stopped and I thought for a second that it had broken down okay but then what happened next I will never forget. The bottom literally drops out of this ride. Now you would expect on a ride with eight 12-year-old middle school girls that, at, that, that, that there would be these high-pitched squealing that would just shatter your eardrums. Well, they grabbed the bar and they didn't make a noise. You would think that somebody in our row of adults would scream and go, ah, but nobody did. But as the car plummeted, I was sure to certain death, my insides got squeezed and the words that came out of my mouth were not words that you would want to say in front of these naive beautiful little girls and ministry friends. I said, oh, I can't say it, okay? At the top of my lungs. And I can remember as the ride came to an end, I'm standing, I'm sitting there just gripping that bar, my eyes closed. And my first thought was, I hope nobody heard me. (laughs) And as I started to open one eye, I could feel my wife's laser beam eye just boring into my temple. And I realized that she may have heard me. And I looked down at my ministry friends and they're all looking at me like, what? (laughs) They definitely heard me. And then I opened my eyes and look at these girls and they all were going, oh, because what happens is what's on the inside always comes out. You see, I was not a person who cursed, but in my mind, I would say those words. When things would happen, I would, mm, mm, mm. when I got squeezed, it came out. Because what's on the inside always comes out. Luke chapter 8, verse 17 says this, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. And everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. I don't like that verse. Because there's a part of me that thinks that I'm smart enough. 
I am sneaky enough. I'm sharp enough. I'm disciplined enough. I know my way around enough. I've got enough resources that I can handle it. That what I do in secret, I can handle. But as we teach our kids, all God's words are true. And God's word says everything that is concealed will be brought out into the light and be made known. That's true for me. That's true for you. And so the one reason why the mindset of I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody is false is because it always comes out. The second reason is that God sees it all. God sees it all. We may think we're fooling God, but we're not. In the Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 6, there's a great story of, of God allowing his people to go into the promised land after they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And one of their first tasks was to overtake the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a mighty and a big and a fortified city. And God says, we're going to take this, but we're going to do it in a way that's never been done in the history of warfare before. And so he instructs the people to line up in a certain order. And they are to march in silence around the perimeter of Jericho once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're to march around it seven times. And God said, when I give you the command, I want you to blow the trumpets and I want you to scream. And we're going to see what happens. And when they do that, the walls, the fortifications of Jericho literally fell to the ground. And the children of Israel, their army was able to rush in and overtake the city. And they went back to camp just praising what God had done because God had had a victory in a way that had never been done before in the history of victories. And so the next assignment they got was to go after a, a city, and it wasn't even a city, it was a little community or a village called AI. And AI was so small, do you know how they spelled their name? AI. They kept it simple. But it was so little. And the children of Israel felt confident because God had fought for them once. He'll fight for us again. So I said, you know, let's not take everybody. Let's just take a couple thousand guys and we'll go up there and overtake this city. And the Bible says that when they went up there, the, the, the people in Ai, the men rose up and they turned back the army of Israel. In fact, they killed 36 of the Israelite soldiers. And so they came back to Joshua and they said, what's going on? And Joshua prayed to God and he says, what's going on? And God said, someone disobeyed. Someone disobeyed. And so God said of the world's first and probably largest game of musical chairs that you do not want to win. And, and it talks about it in chapter 7 of Joshua where he says, I want everybody in the nation to pass in front of you. They were divided into 12 tribes. And he said, I will choose one of the tribes. And so they all walked by and God chose the tribe of Judah. So all 11 of the other tribes sat down to watch. And the whole tribe of Judah marched by and they chose the clan of the Zerahites. Of course, it starts with Z, so it was the last one. So everybody's like, of course, that's how it goes. You got to wait till the end. So the Zerahites come by and then they said, we want to choose the family. So they had all the Zerahites come by and the family of Zimri was chosen. Again, a Z. So it was the end. And then they had every man in the family of Zimri walk forward and come past. And God chose a man called Achan. And so Joshua says to him, what have you done? And in Joshua chapter 7, verse 20, Achan gives his response. So let's read what he said. He said, it is true. 
I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. And I wanted them so much that I took them. They're hidden in the tent, hidden in the ground beneath my tent with silver buried deeper than the rest. You see, God had instructed them when they attacked Jericho not to take anything of value because it had a different purpose. But Achan saw some things that he really wanted. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but can you imagine being Achan and you're in this city of Jericho and you're in a really nice district and, and they say, you need to go in this house, Achan, you need to make sure it's all, it's, all, it's all good. So he walks in there, he's the only one in this mansion and he's walking around and he sees this beautiful dress from Babylon and he's thinking, man, I got an anniversary coming up and my wife would look really good in that. And you know, there's all kinds of stuff around here. Who's going to miss this one dress? I mean, no one will ever know. Who's it going to hurt? And so he folded it up and he put it in his backpack. Now that's not in the Bible. That's just the way my mind works, okay? And as he keeps going through the house, all of a sudden he comes to this and he finds this bar of gold. And he's like, oh, this is incredible. He goes, I've got a couple of kids in college. Do you know how much tuition this would pay for? And he goes, and, and who cares? I mean, look, this place is a mansion. They got stuff everywhere. No one else is in here. No one will know who will it hurt. And he put it in his backpack. And then he's searching along and he finds a pile of silver coins. And he goes, oh. And he picks them up and he goes, do you know how long I've always wanted a fishing boat? Oh, he goes, I mean, look at this house. It's loaded. They'll never miss this. No one will ever know who could it hurt. And he puts him in his backpack and he goes home and he buries him. Well, now he's confessing what he's done. So let's go on with the story and see what it says. So Joshua sent some men to make the search. They ran to his tent and they found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and they brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. So do you understand where the story is now? When Achan is in the home in Jericho, he's thinking no one will know. Who will miss this? Who's it going to hurt? And now, his entire nation has been humiliated by a village. There are 36 families who are mourning the death of a husband or a father because of his sin. What he thought no one would ever know is now laid on the ground in front of him and all of the children of Israel are watching. So what he thought no one would know, everybody knows. What he thought wouldn't hurt anyone, you're going to see it's going to hurt. So let's go on with the story. And Joshua and all the Israelites, they took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, their cattle, donkey, sheep, goat, and tent, and everything that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. 
Now, I can imagine what's going on in, in, in Achan's mind. He says, okay, everything I stole, my whole family, everything they brought together, they're taking us to this valley. He goes, I, I imagine what they're going to do is they're going to say, you guys go. We're kicking you out. No longer are you part of the children of Israel. Your name will be forgotten. You're excommunicated from us. You're no longer a part of God's chosen people. But let's see what happens. Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family, and they burned their bodies. And they piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. Do you see the moment of weakness in, in Jericho where he says, who would ever know? No one will ever find out. This will never hurt anybody. Ends up with his entire country being humiliated. He loses his life. His wife loses her life. His children lose their life. They are stoned. They are burned. They are buried. And there's a huge pile of rocks piled up on everything they own. And from that day forward, every time a family traveled past there and one of the kids said, hey, dad. What's that pile of stones? The story was that was a man named Achan. And he made a mistake. And he paid the price. He thought that he could do something in secret and it wouldn't hurt anybody. And everybody found out and it destroyed everybody he knew. You see, Achan was mistaken. And it's important for us to learn that same thing again. The things that we think are done in secret that no one will ever find out, God sees it all. It will always come out. So the third reason, problem with this mindset is this. It puts me at the center of my world. It puts me at the center of my world. Let's imagine this rug right here for a second, and right at the center is where God is. Now, we know that God is everywhere, so just go with me on this illustration, okay? But God is here at the center, and he says to us, I want you to be as close to me as you can. I want you to draw as close to me. And most of us early on are like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But then we start to fade a little bit, right? We're like, well, God, I know you're here, but I kind of like life over here a little bit, or I have a little more say. Now, I'm close, and I can get back at any point in time. Or maybe we say, you know what, God, yeah, I know you're there, but you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good at balancing, so I'm going to be right over here on the line. Okay, see, see, look, uh-huh, you seeing that? God, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, and if I need you, I'm right back here. Or we say, you know what, God, I've got a lot of friends that I, I enjoy being with, and, and they don't exactly know you, and, and I like doing the things they do. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live one foot out here and one foot here and just straddle the line. You see, so, I, so on the weekends, I can, I can kind of be with my friends, and then you know, I can come to church and get all churchy with you. Yeah, won't that be good, God? I can, I can do that. I'll, I'll live one. You know, or, or maybe I'll just say, you know what, God, I know you're there. You're a God of love, so I'm just going to live out here. I'm going to live out here, and if I need you, if anything major comes along, then I'm going to run back over here to you. Now, is that God's plan for our life? No. It puts us at the center. It says, God, you're like a good luck charm. 
When I need you, I'll come calling. Otherwise, I got this. And that is one of the dangers of this way of thinking. Because that's not God's plan for us at all. To put us, he wants us to be as close to him as possible. Not skirting the edges or running back in when there are troubles. So, so how can we eliminate this way of thinking that what I do in secret won't hurt anybody? How can we eliminate this way of thinking? Well, one of the reasons that I love the Bible is because the Bible gives us the answer to that question. The Bible gives us the answers to all of our questions if we're willing to take time to study it. But it gives that. So turn your Bibles or look in your notes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. And this is what it says. You ready? It says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. Live, so live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. So you see, the scripture here gives us three ways that we can battle this mindset that I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody. The first one is found in verse 10, which says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And the way that I put that very simply is pursue God. You've got to determine what God's will is for you and you have to run towards it. You don't need to be standing out here thinking, oh, someday I'll get in there. Or, or maybe if I can learn. You need to find a way. You need to find a person. You need to find a Bible. You need to find something that you can do to pursue God, to go after him. The second thing is found in verse 11. Just take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. And the way that I summed that out was just run from darkness. Run from darkness. When you're in your secret place and you're about to do your secret thing, you're going to have that moment when you say, ah, I should. That's your moment. Close the computer. Put away the bottle. Hang up the phone. Distance yourself from that relationship. But, but run from the It doesn't say walk. It doesn't say saunter away. What does it say? It says, I'm going to say, run from darkness. And the third thing comes up in verse 8. It says to live as people of the light. Live in the light. There's no way in the world we can call ourselves followers of Jesus if we're standing back here in the darkness. We're standing far from God. We need to be living in the light. And as followers of Jesus, that's my challenge to you. Don't buy into the light. You can do whatever you want. It won't hurt anybody because God sees it all. It always comes out and you have to live in the light. Now, here's what I know. Today, with as many people as we have in this room at all the campuses and online, there are people here who do not know Jesus. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, but you don't know and you haven't accepted him. You don't know that God is calling you, that God says, I know all your junk and I still love you. That God says, I know what you do, but yet I still love you. And God isn't calling you to live in the light. God is calling you to take that step into the light. He doesn't want us to live in darkness. He doesn't want us to live in secret. 
He wants us to live in His light. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to take that step into God's life. And the first way you do that is by accepting Him. So here's what I'm going to ask. Let's bow our heads. And if today is a day when you want to make that prayer, my, my prayer is that today you will have the courage to say, God, I got junk in my life. And you know it. God, my junk has been coming out at the worst possible time. And you know it. God, I can't control this thing like I thought I could. And you know it. But yet you still love me. So let's pray. And if you want to make that commitment, let's not let today pass. Father God, we thank you that you have called us into the light. God, I don't understand how you can love us when we disappoint and disobey you so often. But I'm so thankful that you do. And God, my prayer is for those who don't know you, that they will begin to step into the light, that they would pray this prayer. God, I've sinned. But I also know that you have given us your son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for those sins. And so today I'm choosing not to live in the darkness, not to straddle the line, not to live in secret. But God, today is the day when I choose to step into the light and accept your forgiveness in your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you. I thank you for this moment. Would you help it to be a moment that I can remember when I stepped into the light for you? In your name we pray, amen. Well, church family, let's celebrate those decisions that were just made. If you made that decision today, we have some folks in the back at the starting point counters that would love to be able to talk with you. And they have a gift they want to give you, a new believer's Bible, which will help you begin that journey of walking in the light and living in the light. It's been a good morning, hasn't it? It's been a good morning. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we have a God that knows all of our secret junk and still loves us. I am. Well, we're gonna wrap up this morning and right now we wanna turn it over to all of our campus pastors as we end our service this morning.